Welcome to Great Points, financial insights for improving your relationship with money. I'm Matt Schroeder, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Financial Planning at Great Point Wealth Advisors, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in Boston and Danvers, Massachusetts. Welcome to the May edition of Financial Tips for Newer Planners. Uh, you know, to this point, we've talked about a few big topics. You know, we started with talking about cash flow and savings. We've covered taxes. We covered summer budgeting. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about investments. Um, and you know, for the newer investor, kind of the idea of doing an investment checkup. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get the question, or I'll you know talk to someone, and they've got four or five thousand dollars in their 401k or in an account and they're just newer they're getting savings they're getting started and they've got hundreds of questions about you know what should I invest in and how should I invest it um, and we'll talk about you know what things they should be thinking about um, more commonly I get the answer is why should I care I only have four or five thousand dollars invested does it really make a difference in what it's invested in um, and you know the short answer is not a whole lot you know it doesn't really make if $4,000 grows a little bit, it's not going to make or break your lifetime, uh, you know, achievement goals. So, but what we're really talking about in these episodes is building good habits. So if you could take 15 minutes, 30 minutes a year, and just, you know, be comfortable enough to do this investment checkup, um, that habit will yield dividends as the balances start to grow, you know, as you're saving more money, as you're, as you're kind of becoming more of an uh, you know, established investor. So, as always, I have my partner here, Brandon Parker, to join us for this episode. Welcome, Brandon. Morning, Matt. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Um, so, today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some situational stuff. You know, you have a 401k plan. Um, and, you know, being self-employed for the last 15 years... Um, you know, I haven't had to deal with this as far as on my own stuff because I have my own retirement accounts. But for most of the people that we see, they come in uh, with either a link to their 401k site or a, or a bundle of paper that they got when they signed up. And typically, you know, you have this kind of summary of investments or summary of plans. And, you know, Brandon, your last job, you know, what did that look like? Yeah, it's um, you go to sign up for your 401k and it's usually right at the beginning. Um, you know, within a couple of weeks of starting your employment, and they give you a big list. Um, you know, it can vary. It could be a short list, could be five funds, could be, you know, five to ten, or it could be three hundred. Um, so I think with mine, it was it was a lot of different choices. So it's it's a little tricky when you get started. It's, it can be overwhelming. It is, and you know, when you look, if you've never done any mutual fund research, you look at that sheet. And, you know, it has usually on the left-hand column, it has all the funds listed that you could be invested in. And then down the right-hand side, it has, you know, past performance, one year, five year, 10 year. Um, and the percentages range a lot, you know. So if you have the U.S. bond fund, it might show, you know, one year return minus 6%, three year return, 3%, 10 year return, 5.2%. Uh, and then right below that is the U.S. large cap growth fund. And, you know, one year returns minus 28%, three year returns 15%. Lifetime, 11.2%. And I'm just making these numbers up. So, but, you know, thinking as a, a novice investor, Brandon, if you saw two funds and one had a 10-year return of 5% and one had a 10-year return of 11% and then a third one, let's say it's the international fund, had a 10-year return of 7.2%, where would you put your money? Yeah, those those higher percentages, you look at them and they, they jump out to you, right? Those historical returns, you say, oh, this one's done pretty well over the last three years. It's going to do well over the next three years. 
um, you know, it's not immediately obvious what else you might you might look at in some cases. Yeah, and you know, the, ultimately, the the funds that did well, you know, you might make some inferences that the fund manager who's managing that fund is good at what they do. So given the chance to do well again, they'll probably do well again. Um, but, you know, you kind of also have to understand that if, if a fund has a 10-year track record of 9.7%, um, it didn't do 9.7% every year. So depending on when you bought that fund, so if you're buying that fund today, you don't get 9.7%, you get whatever that fund does in the last year. Um, and probably the most common trap we've seen over the last few years is growth. You know, growth has done well and has outperformed a lot of the other sectors. Um, but last year, uh, as interest rates started to rise, growth growth funds struggled. You know, so the average growth fund might have been down 28 to 30%. In some sectors, in mid-cap, might have been down even more. Um, so if you if you were a new investor and you said, hey, that fund, I want the 9.7% fund, and you bought it all, and then you were down 32%. As a new investor, you're immediately feeling a little bit agitated or frustrated or, or concerned or, you know, wondering if, you know, should I be even investing? Um, and if you're, if you're ever thinking like, oh, I had a crappy year, I should not be investing. We've talked about this in past episodes. You've got a long investment time frame. Keep investing. Um, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about, you know, some basics around investment selection, you know, how to, how to understand what you own and what you don't own. Um, and then just talk about some of the things that you might, you might start to be experiencing in your work life. So, you know, we've talked a little about the list of funds and best performance. And uh, you don't necessarily want to make the performance your number one deciding factor. So you have to understand what the left-hand column means, all those different funds. And some of them will say like target date, 2035. Others will say capital appreciation. Some are called income fund. So the meanings, uh, you know, having done this a long time, I can say hey, I know exactly what that fund, that, pretty pretty be- pretty good guess of what the underlying funds are invested in. Um but Brandon, when you, when you see the difference between a, a target date or a, a lifestyle fund versus a large cap growth fund, what's what's the difference? Yeah, so the the name of the fund will usually give you some kind of indication about what the goal of that fund is. So, you know, you mentioned growth. Growth, they're trying to improve their, you know, year-over-year percentage as high as possible, essentially, and they tend to invest in newer companies. So those newer companies are in the early stage, they might grow faster than the average company. But they also have downside too, right? So that's that's where you start to look at, you know, growth in particular tends to be more volatile than some of the other um, types of funds. Um, when you see something with income, most of the time it's gonna include bonds in there that are paying current coupons um, over time. So that's something that they tend to be very um, significantly less volatile than you might see with, with a growth fund um, but they're really prioritizing current income, which you may not need if you're early in your career. So the, the names will give you some hints about what they are, and if you're ever really in a bind, you can Google, and, and you'll get a little bit of a sense of, of what might be in them. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot a lot of different names in there. It can be a little confusing. Correct, and you, you get uh, into the the funds, you know, then the main difference too is you also have these target date funds. So one fund might be called the target date 2035 or the lifestyles growth. And essentially what those are is they're fund of funds. So they inside, if you were to click on the little blue link and it took you in, you know, if you go into the large cap growth fund, it's going to say, oh, we own Apple, Microsoft, or you know, all these different stocks. If you click on the, the, the target date fund, it's going to say, what do we own? And it's going to say, we own the growth fund, the value fund, the bond fund. So a fund of funds, when you dig into it, 
it owns other mutual funds. And by owning other mutual funds, it's giving you diversification to a lot of different asset classes. Um, versus if you said, hey, I want to be, I only want to invest in US large cap, and you pick a target date fund, about 30% of your portfolio will be in US large cap. The rest of it's going to be spread around international small cap bonds, depending on what age brand you took. So um, understanding the idea of buying one fund versus a fund of funds is important. And as a younger investor, you might say, hey, I I think I know, I've done a little bit of reading and research. I feel really good about small cap this year. I feel really good about health sciences. So you might choose to go down the list and try to find a fund that focuses just in small cap or just in health sciences and put all or a little bit more of your money in there, understanding that you know it's a little more of a, a different type of risk, but you don't necessarily want just the you know the the balanced approach. If you really care nothing about this and you don't even want to talk, and you know you're done listening to this episode, fund of funds are a great way to get started. You know you get a little bit of broad based uh, diversification, you get some U.S., you get some international, and if you're taking a 2050 or a 2060 target date fund. They're assuming you're not retiring for another 35 or 40 years. So, you know, it's going to be mostly equity driven. So you're going to, you know, participate in the markets over the course of time. Um, I would still encourage you once a year to do a checkup, even if you hate this, because you might decide that, you know, the target date fund I picked, um, you know, the is a isn't isn't what I thought it was. So maybe I'll revisit it or maybe it's the perfect fund for me and I'm going to just keep adding to it. Um, so you have to understand that, you know, asset allocation, those target date funds and what they're doing is they're giving you a, a good asset allocation versus the name funds usually are investing in one specific asset class. So an asset class is like large companies or large company growth, small companies, international, you know, different types of bonds. There's about 20 different asset classes across the across the investment platform. So if you know you want to be more heavily weighted in an asset class, you could go down the list and try to pick one that, that that's right for you. The other thing we want to talk a little about is the idea of systematic versus unsystematic investment risk. So if you're investing in stocks, if you have a long time frame, they're, they tend to be less volatile because they tend to go up over time, but they can go down in the short term. So systematic risk is saying, look, I understand that markets can be volatile, but I have long time. I want to own a little bit of the whole market. And in certain times, the markets do go down. Or uh, take what we're going through right now in the banking sector, or recently have gone through in the bank and banking sector. You have, um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank in the news a lot. And if you bought a fund that owned a little bit of the entire banking sector, sometimes a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund, that fund probably went down when these banks started going under. Um, but they only went down a little because they didn't own 100% in one bank. They owned a little bit across the entire banking sector. So that's called systematic risk. The industry can have volatility, but you're going to kind of participate in the overall volatility. Unsystematic risk is when you hedge or take a bet on one specific company or one specific technology and either due to a, 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 a political change or an individual's actions or mismanagement, that one stock or that one sector gets beaten up beyond risk that most people could have factored into. So that, that, that becomes unsystematic risk. So the CEO sends uh, the wrong type of tweet or uh, you have some, some political action that's being taken against the company that no one could have foreseen. Um, so when you're trying to manage systematic risk, that's when you're trying to decide how much I have in stocks and bonds and you know real estate to, to growth. Unsym unsystematic risk, you, the way you manage that is not having all, all in one company. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of times we'll see that. You know, people want to own more Apple, so they buy all Apple stock, which over time is probably gonna, not going to be the worst thing. Apple tends to be a good company. We keep buying Apple phones. But um, over time, that doesn't mean it can't lose 30 or 40 or 50% of its value in any one given year. So, um, and it's not, you know, uh, it could something could happen to their leadership and could 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 cause some unsystematic risk. So, um, understanding how you want to be as an investor and understanding systematic versus unsystematic risk is just a good thing to kind of have. In worst case, maybe you educate a friend about. Oh, I, that's that's interesting. I did not know that. So, um, a little water cooler talk for you when you're trying to sound smart if, uh, in front of your investing family members. Um, so. The other thing, um, and we talked about this offline, Brandon, but you know, at Fidelity and a lot of people's in their 401ks, they have this thing at the very bottom called brokerage link. Do you want to talk for a minute about what that is and who should care? Yeah, so um, we did have it when I was there. Um, and brokerage link is, is basically an option to be able to trade individual stocks. Um, trade might be the wrong word, but let's say buy individual stocks within a 401k account versus buying a fund that's a more diversified or a broad, um, you know, bucket of, of different um, securities. So it's uh, it's an option that, that you can either take or not take in a lot of cases. And, and maybe Matt can, you can tell us a little bit about why you might, might do that. Yeah. So, you know, when you usually, when you sign up for your 401k, it asks you this very generic question, what type of investor are you? Are you uh, do you want to just go with the flow? Uh, do you want to just, you know, do you want to pick your own funds? Is kind of option two or option three is are you like a, 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 a good investor or more of an, an experienced investor? And if you say, hey, I'm an experienced investor, it might suggest looking at that brokerage link idea because that would allow you to have exposure to different asset classes. You know, your 401k might you know, the 401k providers are trying to manage risk as well because if they give you too many choices and you make bad choices, technically the company has a little bit of exposure there. So they try to keep the list pretty, you know, vanilla. Inside Brokerage Link, you could get access to, you know, sector funds or some, some allow you to buy ETFs or individual stocks or buy, you know, things like that that you want to trade on a regular basis. So for 99% of the investors listening to this, you probably never will have to click on brokerage link. But if you see yourself someone as a savvy investor and wants to be a little bit more hands-on, that's what that link down there means. So if you don't have it, you might ask your employer, you know, do we have anything like that? Or is there a way for me to get access to that? Um, And if they don't have it, you might and you really, really want it, or there's other people at the company that are talking about it, maybe you advocate to HR, say, hey, in the next go around, can you look at a 401k provider that has this, or can that be added to to a plan? Um, so that way you're, you're feeling more in control of your investment decisions. So um, a couple other things that are, uh, you know, when it comes to doing your investment checkup, um, you know, we talked a lot about investment returns, but really for younger investors, it's your savings rate. So we've talked about this in past episodes that the, the most valuable asset you have is your ability to save over time. So if you're looking at what you're invested in, you might also say, well, my savings rate was at 4% last year, or when I'm doing this checkup, maybe if I increase it to 5%. So if you just do decide to increase your savings rate, and the other thing you have to be aware of is a lot of 401ks now have an auto increase feature. So if you signed up and you were saving at 5%, at the end of the year, they automatically increase you to take 6% of your paycheck, um, which is a good for saving system. Um, If you're unexpectedly getting paid less, that might be one place to go check. Um, But as your savings rate starts to creep up, that might be a good time to review what your investment choices are. Because when you were saving 3% and you really weren't thinking about it and you were kind of making whatever they paid you, 
um, the target date was fine. But now you're, you know, you've gotten a couple raises, you've gotten a promotion, you're now saving 8%. And so it's bigger money is going in each month. You might want to say, okay, well, is the target date still right for me? Or do I want to add some sectors? Or do I want to have a little bit more bonds? Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, goals are changing a little bit. So, uh, you know, as you change your savings rates, take five minutes, to just look at the underlying investments. Um, and then also, usually there's two columns in your 401k. There's uh, how my current money is allocated, and then how my future money is allocated. And a lot of people change one or the other. And so let's say you click on change my future allocations because you want to be all technology stocks. So you put 100% technology. And then you watch uh, the technology index go crazy, go straight up. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm killing it. I've got all my money in technology. But you forgot to go to the current section and change your current allocation. So all the money you had invested stays where it was. It's only new money that goes into those new investments. So if you truly wanted to change how you're currently invested, you have to go into current allocations, but then also go into future allocations to make sure that you have these, your selections the way you want them to read in both columns. Um, so, you know, little, little tips around, you know, how to manage your 401k, the savings rates, how to manage those websites. Uh, another thing that may apply to some of you, you might start getting company stock, uh, whether it's in the form of options or restricted stock or grants for signing bonuses. You know, what do you do with it? Do you keep it? Do you sell it? Um, and I've talked about this in past episodes on company stock and stock options, but ultimately you just want to have a strategy that's right for you. For some people, when they get the stock and it's a gift, it means you didn't have to pay for it. Uh, they treat it sort of like cash compensation, but unless you sell the stock, there's no cash for you to spend. So for some clients, you know, their plan is as soon as I get the stock and I invested in it and I've paid my taxes on it, I'm going to sell the stock and I'm going to move that into one of my other goal accounts. Um, others, they want to have some ownership in their company and they think it's going to go up in value. So they pay a little tax on whatever they received as stock because that's where you have to do it. Um, and then they just hold the stock. And as long as it's, you know, only a few percentage points of your overall net worth, not, it's probably not going to hurt you if the stock goes down a little bit. Um, but you might choose to buy and hold it. Um, others, the third way is you can kind of set a price at which point you would sell it. So you bought it or you were given to it $10. You say, look, you know, this thing could go to 100 it could, it could go to zero. So I want to make sure if it goes to 15 I sell a little. And if it goes to 20, I sell a little bit more. Or if it goes down to eight, I'm definitely, I, I don't want to lose this all. So when it goes to eight, I'm going to sell it. Um, so you basically, your three options are sell it immediately and just move the cash somewhere else. Do nothing and just hold the stock. Or the third is set some type of limit of either low side or high side of when you would want to sell a little or all of it to kind of lock in those gains or minimize those losses. Um, once again, for most newer investors, you know, it's four shares, eight shares, 12 shares. It's not a life-changing amount of money. But once again, we're trying to build good habits. So as you're getting paid more and as you're getting bigger chunks or you change jobs and they give you 500 warrants for a company that's not even a publicly traded company yet, you've already started thinking about, okay, when I get access to those or when we have our IPO, I know what I'm going to do with those dollars. Um, lastly, or a couple last tips, you know, if you have um, a generous family members, sometimes, you know, we, we tell a lot of our clients that are parents or grandparents, instead of giving cash gifts to transfer appreciated stock to their kids or grandkids. And the idea is, if if I give my grant, not to say if I give my child stock cash, I've already paid tax on that cash, so they get the money and they can do whatever they want with it. 
if I give them stock that, that let's say I bought a stock at 10 and it's grown to 100, that $90 of gains on that stock, uh, no one's paid tax on that yet. So if I sell it and give them the cash, I have to pay the $90 in taxes at my tax rate. Now, if my grandson or child is newer in the investment world, it, you know you can make the assumption that they might be in a lower tax bracket. So if I gift them the shares of stock and then they sell it, they pay the tax at possibly a lower tax rate. So if you're in a position where you're getting some gifted shares or things are coming to your, uh, you know, into your brokerage account from a gift from a parent or grandparent, the right thing for you might be to sell it. The right thing for you might be to hold it. But just have once again, taking five or ten minutes to look at the fund that you received see how it fits into your overall goal or bigger investment picture and decide, you know, is that a fund I want to hold or is that a fund I want to sell and start fresh in, you know, the sector that I want to be in? Um, and then the last thing is, you know, uh, you know, if you have a Robinhood account or you have a little investment account or a trading account, um, you know, how do you manage that? You know, how do you put money into it? And, you know, what's kind of setting some real expectations? And we were talking about this offline, you know, Brandon, about, you know, friends who, you know, say they're great investors, but, uh, you know, they're still going to their day job. Um, so someone who's, you know, say, hey, I want, should I buy some individual stocks to have a Robinhood account? What general advice would you, what warnings or things would you, you, you tell them? Yeah. Well, as with many things in life, FOMO is a real thing. Um, you know, I, I think we all have friends or buddies that are telling you, hey, go buy this, you know, this stock or, you know, might be cryptocurrency or something like that. Um, you don't usually hear about the losses that some of those folks incur. So, that's something to always keep in mind. Um, you really need to know, really understand what you're buying before you before you jump in and buy anything. Um, and then, you know, I always feel like if it's entertainment or if it's learning for you, at least keep it to an amount that is going to be comfortable if you lose it. Um, you know, generally speaking, there's a reason why it's really hard for investors to beat the market consistently because there's there's more info out there than you can possibly know. So, in a lot of cases, you know, just try to limit. If, if you're genuinely just interested in trying to learn, try to limit limit your exposure to a point where it's not going to really hurt you if, if it does go bad. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is is if you're thinking about it like a, not a gamble, but like you're trying to trade, it's a lot of it is about timing. So if you're busy at work and you say, hey, I bought this stock, usually good traders will have kind of a sell point or something like that. And sometimes the news will pop up when you really should be selling or buying more of it, but you are on a vacation or on a work trip and you just can't get to a laptop or get to your phone or whatever it may be. So um, with when you're thinking about it as like a trading account, timing can be very important. So you want to make sure it's something that you understand how to do quickly. Um, and then also maybe you, you can use some of their tools to, to limit the your upside or downside exposure. Um, so but the important thing about a Robinhood account or brokerage account is you know, any as you as you start to accumulate wealth, you're probably going to have money in one of three accounts. And your homework at the end of this episode is make sure that you understand what these three accounts are. Ask yourself if you have one, if you need one, and if not, when should you revisit the idea? And the first is some type of 401k or pre-tax account. And for most part, if you have a job, they offer it to you. Maybe you've enrolled, maybe you've not. But the 401k is money that goes in, gets you some tax benefits today. It's tied up for more or less until retirement, but it's a good way to accumulate long-term wealth. Um, the second type of account is a Roth IRA, which we've done episodes on these in the past, so you can just look in our database for, you know, should I have a Roth IRA? Uh, but it has slightly different tax benefits, a little more long-term tax advantages, um, but once again, kind of another supplemental retirement account. 
And the third type of account is a taxable brokerage account. And this is like a Robinhood account or a Fidelity or Vanguard. And this is money that you've already paid tax on that you want to put somewhere besides the bank and you want to have it invested. You need that type of account to buy a stock, to buy Bitcoin, to buy whatever. So, you know, you when you review those three accounts, you know, do I have a 401k? Should I have more of it or should I have less of it? Do I have a Roth? Should I have some or should I have more or less? Uh, and then do I have a brokerage account? And if not, can I set one up? And most of these accounts can be set up, you know, with little to no money in and, you know, sometimes zero, maybe $25 or a little bit of an annual expense to keep. So you have to understand the expenses and what the costs of setting them up and, and managing them are. But for the most part now with technology, you can create these types of accounts with little to no, uh, you know, upfront capital uh, in, in order to keep them going. So, um your homework for the end of this episode is simple. Take about 15 to 30 minutes, look at your current investments, what you own, and ask yourself, you know, is it in a target date or a mutual fund? If it's in a sector, is it in growth or, or small cap or international? Um, and then, you know, also then look at the type of accounts you own. Do I own a 401k? Do I have a Roth? Do I have a brokerage? And just ask yourself, should I have any of them or should I not have any? any or should I, if I don't have them, should I have them? And if not, when should I make a, a mental note to kind of come back to them? So um, if you build the habits now, 30 minutes a year, maybe over time it might get to 30 minutes twice a year, and maybe then it's 30 minutes once a quarter as you're accumulating more wealth or getting more complex. But you know, having, having these basic systems and habits will, will really set you up for success as you start to accumulate more wealth. Um, so, um, you know, as we, uh, kind of start to wrap up, Brandon, any last minute comments or thoughts on investing or from your perspective? No, I think you covered it great today. Great. Excellent. Well, like I said, there's not a, uh, as we said in all these episodes, there's not a one investment strategy that's right for everybody, but there is one that's right for you. So do your homework, keep with it, keep checking in on these monthly tips and until next time, thanks for listening. Great Points is hosted by Matt Schroeder. Great Point Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Great Point Wealth Advisors does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through Great Points. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.